Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. This is the 11th episode in the Beginnings series that I've been doing, and we are on day four. That's right, only made it to day number four, uh, but today we'll talk about day four of creation. Now, these days of creation have, you know, just kind of reflecting back, they've turned more into like a Bible study that I'm sharing with you. Um, so, uh, you know, I, when I'm studying the Bible, I like to uh, key in on on different words in a verse and I have a Bible study program that I've mentioned several times before, Logos Bible Software. And one of the most valuable tools on that, and by the way, you can download this for free. There's a free version that has a lot of the basic features, and I'm pretty sure this feature comes with it. But you can right-click on any word in the Bible, and it will it can formulate a list of any time that word is used in the original language. So it'll look at like the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, and it will tell you when that word is used throughout the rest of the Bible. And so you can you can click on a word, and then you know a lot of the my Bible study time in, in this Genesis series has been kick, uh, clicking on these key words like firmament. Um, uh, today we'll talk about signs and seasons, and so clicking on some of these key words in a verse and just reading tons of Bible verses and how that word is used throughout all of Scripture. And so you get a better feel for how to interpret the Bible properly. And so uh, so we'll go through some of that today. But, you know, this podcast is Why I Believe What I Believe. Just in talking about the different days of creation, there are so many attacks on the, the Christian creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. There's so many attacks from all different sides on that. And so just in in simply studying this, I think you know it's very fruitful in sort of um sharing why I believe what I believe and hopefully you may not agree with me on everything like I've said several times before, but hopefully this podcast gets you thinking more about uh why you believe what you believe about the Bible and about just basically your your worldview. And so if you have any questions for me, you can always email me bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can message me on Instagram at the real bear martin and I'm on Twitter at bear for christos. Now, for a bear in the woods, random part of the show, this kind of helps you get to know me a little better, just talk about different things in life. We had pizza the other night and just some general pizza observations. I was thinking about this as we as our family was eating. Um, first off, I am pretty conservative when it comes to pizza. I am a standard pepperoni guy. I don't think you can mess up pepperoni. That is what I get when I go to restaurants. I, I don't care about all the fancy toppings and all the themed you know, pizzas at different restaurants. Just give me the this, this straight up plain pepperoni and I'm good. I can I can also deal with meat lovers. If, if I don't have pepperoni to pick from and meat lovers is an option, I'll go with meat lovers. Uh, one, you know, it, basically, if you put bacon on anything, I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, but the thing, one thing I don't like though is Canadian bacon. So I just I don't I don't know why I just can't get into Canadian bacon. Now, I have heard that Canadian bacon is actually healthier for you. Um, apparently, all of their pigs have free health care, and they are all fully vaxxed. And so um, Canadian bacon, I think, is a little bit healthier than 
regular bacon, American bacon. I don't, I don't know how you would specify. There's just bacon and then there's Canadian bacon. I, I don't know if there's any other types of bacon out there. Anyway, you know how to contact me if you have any, uh, any comments on that. Now, if you're going to add spinach or pineapple or mushrooms or whatever to the pizza, I, I like, you know, pineapple, for instance, but not on pizza. And so, you know, I think if heaven has a cafeteria with pizza, it will be pepperoni. Now, also, have you ever heard this? One of my daughters doesn't like the crust. And so she would eat the majority of the pizza and then hand the crust to her sister who loves the crust. And I eat the crust as well. But have you ever heard people say this? You don't eat the crust. That's the best part. (laughs) And I've always thought that that's a little weird because... Really? I mean, really? You're going to you're going to say that the crust is just bread. So I mean, with maybe some scraps of sauce, you know, attached to it towards the uh towards where the the regular pizza part begins, but the the crust is just the bread. So it it's, it can't be the best part of pizza. I mean, I love bread, but I consider crust. I I when I eat the crust, that is almost like like a a palate renewal making me desire the cheese and pepperoni and sauce on the next slice of pizza that I'm about to eat. It's sort of like, it's like a reset and then I'm ready for the next piece. And so it's, it's almost like when it's just bread, you're like, oh man, as soon as I get that next piece, you know, it's going to be amazing. So it, it sort of, it cleanses my palate in a way. So in that way, I like the crust, but it's definitely not the best Part. So just be careful when you when you use phrases like that. The, the pizza crust is not the best part. If so, there would be tons of restaurants out there making just crust, but they don't do that because everybody knows it's not the best part. It's a good part, but not the best part. All right. That's just my opinion. And this has been A Bear in the Woods. Now, day four of creation is found in Genesis 1, verses 14 through 19. Let me read them to you. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Now, what I'm going to do today is just kind of walk through a few basic observations on day four of creation, and um, and so hopefully you enjoy this. Now, the, the first thing that jumps out to you is that God is the one who is creating the sun, moon, and stars in this passage. So the sun, moon, and stars are not gods. If we think about the very first people that would have read the first five books of the Bible, they were written by Moses to the Israelites who had just come out of Egypt. Egypt was a culture that had tons of gods. They had the the god of the Nile and the the god of the livestock and the you know so a lot of the plagues were actually against it was God's way of saying I am over all of your gods. 
And so darkness was one of those where the, one of the primary gods, if not the primary god in Egyptian culture, was the sun god. And so, God, you know, the ninth plague, we'll talk about it more in a little bit, but there's total darkness. God is saying, I am over the sun god. The sun god is, well, it's, it's not even a god, but you think the sun is a god, and I, I have complete control over any god you, you think of. And so, so when the Israelites are reading this account of creation, God is the one who makes the sun, the moon, and the stars. These are not you know, mythological gods who were battling for positions of power in the cosmos or any of that stuff. God is simply creating them for specific purposes. He, he, and then, in, in fact, I think that's one of the reasons that the sun, moon, and it, the sun and moon are not given those names. Now, in Hebrew, there's certainly the names for the sun, the specific word for sun and for moon. There, Moses uses them later in the Torah, but in this passage, he does not use those specific words. He just says the greater light and the lesser light. So he's describing the function of the sun and the moon, but he's not naming them a, the specific name because those names were likely attached to the pagan you know, gods of the Egyptian culture and, and other surrounding cultures. And so I think that's the one of the reasons that Moses is saying here that it's just the greater light and the lesser light. He's not even calling them by the names of, of the sun and the moon. So they are to give light. There, there's, you know, there's other purposes for the sun, moon, and stars that we're about to talk about. But there are no. It's not to that they should receive worship of any kind. God is the one who receives worship, and He's the one who's created this sun, moon, and stars, or the greater light and, and lesser lights. Now, the the next observation I want to talk about is that the sun, moon, and stars are for signs and seasons, days and years. And so let's talk about that. Now, there's a couple different ways people will interpret this. So in the NIV translation, instead of signs and seasons and days and years, it translates signs and seasons. It sort of combines them and says that it's signs to mark sacred times, signs to mark sacred times. So here, what's important to know when when the Bible uses this word season, um, again, the NIV is translating that as sacred times. And so the, the word here for season is actually the word that's used for sacred festivals and specific times throughout the year. In Exodus 23, 15, uh, the, the Bible says this, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time. That phrase appointed time is the same Hebrew word for seasons found in Genesis 1. So the appointed time in the month of Abib, in some translations it may say Nisan, for in, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Again, that's Exodus 23:15. So so this these signs and seasons, the seasons part of that is not talking about winter, spring, summer and fall. It's it's talking about these these sacred times of the year. Um, and so the sun, moon, and stars are used to identify these special occasions, and that's a blessing God gives us. He's He's going to tell the Israelites, you know, every year I want you to do this at, at this certain time of the month. You do this, you know, and so there's all these commandments, and He's given the sun, moon, and stars so that they can organize all of that and keep track of it. So God is outside of time, but He He works 
in time. God has a purpose for everything. It, because because He gives us a way to track time and and to uh, and and the universe He has created is one of order. Then we can uh, then we can better see God has a purpose for everything. In Mark one verses fourteen and fifteen, it says this: Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, "The time." is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel here the word time is kairos that's the greek word and in the septuagint again the greek translation of the old testament this same word kairos is the word used for season in genesis 1 so the, here this is talking about a this is not just a a like oh it's springtime now no jesus is talking about there's a time a god ordained time from before the the foundation of the world that the son of man would come and proclaim the gospel and jesus says that time is now and and i am the the promised one and so that's a sacred time so god created the sun moon and stars to glorify himself allowing us to see him as Lord over time, and God's timing is always perfect. Now, when we talk about signs, so I, I went in reverse a little bit, um, but when we talk about the signs, signs in the Bible, if you, if you, you know, like I talked about, I right-click on that word, and I can generate a list of all the times that that word is used, and I read through, you know, all these verses, Signs are always to mark something unusual, something that's a little different. So in Luke 2.12, the Bible says this, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So sign here is the Greek word semeon, and in the Septuagint, that is the word that's used in Genesis 1.14 for signs and seasons. So this this and this will be a sign for you. We'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's the same exact word as what's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament for signs and seasons. Other signs in the Bible would be the rainbow is a covenant sign. Circumcision is a sign of a covenant. Now also in Genesis 4:15, it says then the Lord said to him, this is talking about Cain who killed Abel. The Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. Now that word mark there is the same word I've been talking about for sign. So the Lord put a mark on Cain. It's something unusual. We don't know exactly what the mark on Cain was, but it was something to set him apart, something that makes him different, something unusual about Cain. And so it identifies him in a certain way. That's what signs do. They identify something. Signs in Scripture were used for banners that identified a certain nation. When the when um, Israel conquered Jericho, Rahab was a a prostitute that helped hide the spies that were spying out the city. And so a, as a sign that they would remember her and, and save her and her family, she hangs a scarlet ribbon out the window. And so that, that was a sign. So signs are something to mark something a little bit unusual. 
Now, signs are also talk, used in the Bible to talk about miracles. Specifically, this word semeon is talked a lot about when it refers to Jesus's miracles. And so in John 20, 30 through 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so these signs here are, are something unusual, something that, that has a purpose behind it, and, and it, it, when we're talking about a sign that God does, it's something that reveals God's power, his authority, his lordship. And so Jesus's miracles illustrate that he has power. When he calms the sea, he has power over the seas. That's a, a sign that Jesus does. And so all of these signs are, are something that point us to God. They stand out. A rainbow stands out and should make us think about God. And so, so there's, there's all these signs that, that point us back to God. Now, some biblical examples of signs, specifically using the sun, moon, and stars, one that I thought about was in Joshua 10, God makes the sun stand still prolongs the day so the Israelites can win the battle. This was a sign of God's blessing and provision over them and, and his that, that he is behind them as they are taking over the promised land. Wise men came from the east. Matthew 2, 2 says, the, the wise men asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, this is just a little side note. I always like to share when I talk about the wise men. Um, I, the first person I ever heard mention this was Pastor Stephen Davey. He pastors a church called Shepherd's Church in Cary, North Carolina. But um, he's the first one I ever heard mention this, but I've heard it a lot of times after that. But uh, anyway, why have you ever wondered why these magi, the, the wise men, traveled so far just because they they saw a star in the sky and, and were wanting to see this new king of the Jews. They've come to worship him. And they bring these gifts. Have you ever wondered why they that would be so important to them? Well, a, a theory, so the Bible doesn't specifically address this, but I think it's just, that's why I said it's a side note, but it's fun to think about. A theory is that these wise men came from the region of Persia. Ba, you know, Persia conquered Babylon, and so these wise men from the east come from that general location, and it's possible that they were actually looking, uh, looking into and studying the prophecies and writings of Daniel. Daniel was a Hebrew that was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar whew, tough one to say, was king of Babylon. He conquered Jerusalem and took away some of the best and brightest Hebrews. And so this is, you can read about this in the book of Daniel. Daniel's friends are thrown into the fiery furnace because they refuse to worship a, a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And so um, Daniel is the one who's thrown in the lion's den as an, as an older man. So Daniel has interpreted dreams, and so he was basically a king's advisor for several kings in Babylon, starting with Nebuchadnezzar, and then when Persia conquered Babylon, they actually kept Daniel as one of the royal advisors. And so Daniel was um, no doubt a prominent figure in that culture. And so if if these wise men were studying back, they may have been uh, reading up on some of Daniel's prophecies. And, and there's a lot of timing prophecies in Daniel that I definitely don't have time to get into. But uh, they could have been looking forward to this king of the Jews prophesied by Daniel. Anyway, fun to think about. 
Now, when it comes to you know signs and seasons and days and years, and God's given us the, the sun, moon, and stars for this, a question that may pop up, and this actually came up in a conversation I was having with a young Christian um, earlier this week, and this, this was about horoscopes and astrology and things like that. Is it okay for Christians to read horoscopes, uh, even if it's just for fun, that, that type of thing? Now, if you're a mature Christian, you may be thinking, what kind of question is that? It, you know, um, But it, this is a, a young Christian who's trying to develop a biblical worldview, trying to understand more about you know, how to best serve her Lord and Savior. And so, um, so I, you know, this is an honest question, so I figured I would address it now because maybe this question's out there for someone else. Um, just because the sun, moon, and stars are, are given for signs and seasons, I do not think that th- this means that we look into them to find some sort of secret code on how to live life. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. I think there's plenty of verses in the Bible that that remind us that as humans, we do not know the future. We cannot know the future. And so we, we should not be looking for some sort of secret code in the sky to uh, determine what we do in life. So is it okay for a Christian to look at horoscopes and that sort of thing? Obviously, I don't believe it is. Uh, Jeremiah 10, verses 1 through 3, the Lord says this, Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. And so, and then it's going to go on, that passage is going to go on to talk about how they make idols. They chop down a tree with their hands, carve an idol with their own hands, and then worship that idol. How ridiculous is that? That This is something they just made with their own hands. Now they turn and worship it. And so, you know, looking to for these signs in the heavens, worshiping other false gods, this is all idolatry. And this, this all takes you away from what God would have you to know. So what are you looking for if you're reading a horoscope? Are you looking for you know, some sort of revelation about your life, how you should live today, what you should focus on for today? Are you looking for encouragement in your horoscope? Uh, things like that. Well, as a Christian, we turn to the Bible. The Bible is far more sufficient to give us the things we need um, versus looking into horoscopes. And so, you know, just a few verses to remind you of some truths here in the Bible. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, you know, if you want to learn just how awesome the Bible is, read Psalm 119. The, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, and it's devoted to the just the amazing Word of God and how important it is in one's life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I've mentioned this verse. It's probably one of the most popular verses mentioned on this podcast. All Scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed. The, my, one of my favorite Greek words is say, theanoustos, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so it, it's amazing the way Satan will work 
in our hearts, and we, we're constantly seeking for some new truth, some some secret truth that if we can just get our hands on, it would make our life easier. And so we we search for patterns in the stars, and we read horoscopes and things like that. When we've got that, you know, God did not give us secret codes in the stars. He gave us something much more accessible. That's the Word of God that we can read. A, a very important verse on this is when when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So they had something they could read. In in this context, it's the Hebrew scriptures. And Jesus is saying, you should consider these scriptures, the thing that you're reading as the very words of God. And so that's what we have when, when we have scripture today. Why would we seek for you know, obscure patterns in the stars when we can read the very words of God. So I think day four, you know, we, I've emphasized that God is the one who created the sun, moon, and stars. They are not pagan deities. Also, that they are for his purpose is that they are going to be used for signs and for seasons, for days and years. We've talked about that. And then lastly, there are three purposes that are repeated. And in in sort of a chiastic structure. So in in Hebrew, you see this a lot, where it's it's like uh, like in this passage, we'll say you know point A, point B, point C are listed, and then they're repeated again in in reverse order. Um, it's a it's a little bit wiggly as far as the the exact chiastic structure, but it's there. And so the the three things that I want to, to want to mention here is that the sun, moon, and stars are to well specifically the sun and moon are to separate day from night, and then when it repeats it, it says to separate light from darkness. Also, that they are to rule. The greater light rules the day, the lesser light rules the night, and they are to give light upon the earth. So again, the these the sun and the moon are not to be worshipped. God actually creates them for a purpose. God is Lord over them, and they they only do what their God-controlled activity is. That Again, they're not, you know, gods to be worshipped. Now, uh, one other thing to notice here is that God is giving light, the greater light to to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, but both of them are to give light upon the earth. So sometimes when we think of light versus darkness, we think of the extremes, uh, darkness being pitch dark. But see, at night, God still gives us light. He still gives us the light of the moon. And so in both instances, there is light. Yes, in the day there is more light, but in the night there is still light. Now, what what's important to recognize is that in the Bible, pitch darkness, complete darkness, is a sign of judgment. It's a way of describing the way sinners are living life, and it's a way of talking about hell. So let's go through those. In judgment, I've mentioned this before, but often judgment in the Bible has decreation language, something that goes against the way God created things. So in this instance, God created there to be at least some light in every situation. The greater light during the day, the the lesser light, the moon at night, there's still light. But 
In decreation, judgment language in the Bible, there is complete darkness, and the sun and the moon go dark. So I mentioned this briefly before, but the ninth plague on Egypt is complete darkness, Exodus 10, verses 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Now, in Isaiah, he's prophesying about the Lord's coming judgment on Babylon. And in in Isaiah 13, 9 and 10, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Jesus uses the same decreation language to speak of coming judgment. Now, there's lots of different interpretations of Matthew 24, but any way you cut it, it's judgment language by Jesus. Matthew 24, 29, Jesus says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, and so that's judgment language. In in talking about hell, Jesus says in Matthew 8, Matthew 22, and Matthew 25 that those who are thrown in hell, they'll be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so the, the biblical picture of hell is one of darkness. Now, this, this is likely symbolic, but darkness here, no light, is, is the, the biblical picture of hell. Now, sinners are walking in darkness. So John 3, 19, this is right after one of the most popular verses in the Bible, John 3, 16. Now, in John 3, 19, it says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Sinners live in darkness. Matthew 6, 21 through 23, Jesus is teaching, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Sinners are, we, we are born in darkness and we need the light to come in. The, the light is shown on our lives and, and true Christians will not remain in darkness. Now, recently I listened to a podcast that I want to share with you here it is uh, it's it's not a typical podcast that i listen to but one of my friends now i say friend i mean i haven't talked to him in years but he posted this on instagram and uh he posted a clip of the podcast and it caught my attention a few of the things that were that were said and so i listened to the whole episode anyway the there's a host and a guest on the podcast the guest is a female and she, you know, like the headline of the podcast or whatever, uh, she is a, and I'm using air quotes here, former pastor. 
and she is now an OnlyFans model. And so OnlyFans, in case you didn't know, is an online subscription service, and it it can be for lots of different things, but it is mostly adult content. So people essentially are paying this lady to model, um, and so a, a better word would be stripper strip. Um, so it's pornographic nature, and then it's it's for sex workers. So there's you know they may ha- have a pornographic video that people are subscribing to see. Um, so so she's she was a again air quote former pastor. Now she's a sex worker. Now this is this whole podcast was sad to listen to, honestly. Um, because she is so self-deceived. Now, I mention this because I'm talking about how in sin, we are in darkness. We cannot see. And and so that's why I mention this. It, it's, yes, I believe she is living in sin, and so I pray that that God shines light in her heart, the Holy Spirit works in her heart and softens her heart, shows her that she is living in sin and that she repents of that. That Absolutely. Uh, that is my prayer. But this is kind of a, a learner for all of us. It's a challenge to in, in, investigate our own hearts and see if we are self-deceived in, in any way. Um, the the way the reason I say she's self-deceived is because she's a millionaire now. Um, so she was talking about how she's you know she's made this change in her life and it's bringing all these blessings again air quotes these blessings in her life. So she's a millionaire, makes six figures a month. Um, she's being she's able to influence all these people. She refers to her sex work as her ministry. Again, she's a air quote former pastor. Um, she said that that. Her, her ministry is able to bring healing that the church could never bring to, to people. So she's able to heal better than the church could ever heal um, in, in you know, people with, with um, sexual struggles, okay? Um, she says she knows this is right because her own life has improved, and she is, she's able to help so many people find healing. She even said that her work is good because it produces good fruit and then references the Bible saying that you will, you will know that it's good by its fruit. Uh, now, after saying that, within minutes, she's talking about she's divorced. So she has a or she had a husband and children, and so their that marriage is is broken now. They're divorced, and she's and then she was saying it's one of the best decisions she's ever made. Um, de, you know, deciding for herself that this is what's best for her, and th- those types of things. Um, at the end, the the host asked, you know, do you have any advice for those who are listening to this podcast? She said, quote, always trust your intuition. It is the one thing I can rely on. And then a few sentences later, she continues, my intuition has always been 100% spot on. Trust your gut. That's that's her advice to the to the listeners. So this is spiritual darkness. She simply cannot see that she is living in sin. Well, actually, she's seeing what she wants to see. Uh, think about the the good fruit analogy that she was making. How she's able to bring healing for all these people, healing that the church could never bring. Well, if we think about good fruit. What kind of fruit is a divorce and and a, a broken up family? Is that good fruit? See, she's she's forgetting to analyze that that type that fruit. She's just seeing the 
you know, the the what she calls good fruit in her life and how she's able to help all these people. Now, so so is a broken family good fruit? Absolutely not. What about other husbands or wives who neglect their family's needs in order to watch her, you know, OnlyFans videos and and subscribe to her channel or whatever you call it. I'm not a <laughs> I'm not I'm not a an uh, OnlyFans, so I don't know the lingo, but um you know what about those people who are neglecting their own family to watch her videos uh the the men and women lusting after her videos instead of their own spouse is that good fruit absolutely not and so you know this this idea of always trust your intuition that is that's the one thing that you can rely on uh, Jeremiah 17:9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it and so again i don't share this to to put others down um, it's to demonstrate that we can be really blind in our own sin. And so, you know, as a listener out there, are you living in sin? Are you rationalizing certain sins in your own life? This is a question that uh, that I, you know, must ask myself as well. And so I pray that God shines light on this woman's sin, and I pray that God shines light on our own hearts as we investigate that. First John 1 5 through 10 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, in closing here, the sun, the moon, and the stars are not to be worshipped. They are not to be relied upon for direction in life, like horoscopes and, and the patterns of the stars. Rather, they are to point us to God. They display His signs and help us remember His sacred seasons. The light given by the sun and the moon are can be used as an illustration to show us the the perfection of Jesus Christ. He is the light, and also to show us that we are walking in darkness. Anybody who's ever been in a situation where they are in, you know, like darkness in a cave, you realize that you are helpless. You're just sort of feeling around with, without without hope. You need a light. We need Jesus, the light. Eventually, though, in the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23 say this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. <laughs> 